Economic news on SAFM. Facts and figures you can count on. Okay, let's start by talking about the impact of the downgrade on Pioneer Foods. Yeah, Sakina, you know, we spoke at length yesterday about, uh, you know, the downgrade and the impact on the bond market and why there hasn't been as much foreign outflows from uh, the South African bond market as what uh, we saw during Nenegate and why the RAND has been remarkably stable on the back of it. Um, you know, and we painted quite a positive picture in that light and mentioning that, uh, you know, the foreign outflows might, it might be a while until we see the foreign outflows from our bond market and we have to see a number of actions from SNP on the local credit rate as well as uh, as well as Moody's on the on, on the credit rating, in fact, downgrading us twice before we see the real outflows from the South African bond market. So, um, you know, but this this story of Pioneer Foods um, just highlights exactly why a downgrade is not positive, Sakina. And you know, we definitely don't want to leave the impression in um, you know the listeners' minds that there's no impact from a downgrade and it's and it's business as usual. Um, you know, the, 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 essentially what happened at Pioneer Foods is that. Uh, there was a large multinational company uh, that was going to take a stake in Pioneer Foods. They couldn't disclose just yet who, who the multinational company was. Uh, but what they had indicated was that 95% of the deal was done. So the legals were done, the pricing was done, um, and at the last minute after the downgrade of our foreign credit rating to sub-investment grade, the multinational pulled out and said, well, no thank you, despite our size, um, you know, we're not in any position to be deepening our risks um, at all. So, you know, given the downgrade, actually, um, you know, this deal is not for us. And uh, Pioneer Foods obviously suffered quite drastically on the back of that. When the SEMS announcement was released on Friday that, uh, you know, the, the, the deal was going to be off, uh, the share price reacted quite negatively, was down about 7% before recovering a little bit uh, to end the day for about 4.5% down. So, Sakina, I mean, this is a direct, uh, this is sort of a direct uh, example of just exactly how devastating a da- the downgrade could be. Um, you know, while it might not translate into outflows from the bond market immediately, uh, it definitely does affect confidence quite drastically and you know we're seeing the equity market certainly bearing a lot of the brunt um, as foreigners uh, you know uh, leave our equity market or our net sellers of our equities particularly in the mid cap space where they concerned about the prospects for some of those businesses um, moving forward especially those which have exp- significant exposure to the South African economy so Sakina I suppose what we're trying to say is that the frustrating thing is just as we're starting to see green shoots of economic recovery in South Africa, this is definitely going to delve a significant blow to um, the consumer and, and, and more importantly, investor confidence. Um, and, you know, just as investor confidence was recovering, so when we see the investor confidence number coming out for March, we're going to see a shockingly bad number. Um, you know, and, and, and that brings a lack of investment and that brings a lack of potential foreign direct investment. And we know how important that is to growing the South African economy, given how low our domestic savings rate is. And that has the dampening effect of reducing the multiplier effect of economic growth in South Africa and could signal some, uh, you know, more tough times ahead, uh, just as we thought we were crawling out of the economic hole. So, you know, these are some of the impacts that, we, that, that we're seeing. Um, but, you know, with, with regards to the RAND, it's obviously, um, you know, global development which is driving the strength of the RAND. And every time there's risk on sentiment, and there's been significant risk on sentiment in the last couple of weeks, given the uh, 
you know, inflation peaking in the in the in the in the in the, in the developed markets, given reducing inflation in the emerging markets, given increased signals of global growth continuing to gain steam, and given uh, political developments, particularly um, you know the victory of uh, Emmanuel Macron in the in the primary French elections uh, yesterday, there's been significant risk of sentiment, and that's been driving inflows into emerging markets, and they, and hence the rand has been strengthening. So despite um, all this panic with regards to uh, business confidence and with regards to foreign direct investments, um, you know, the, the, the fact that there's been risk on sentiment globally has kept the rand fairly stable. And then um, the U.S. earnings season thus far, uh, can you take us through that and what sort of impact that is likely to have, Nadir? Yeah, Sakina, I mean, I think uh, the, the biggest concern that investors had coming into this earnings season is that the returns we've seen from the U.S. equity market have been predominantly driven by what we call multiple expansion. So it hasn't been driven by the fact that the underlying companies have been growing their earnings very rapidly. While they have been growing their earnings, uh, the extent of, the, of, of, of returns we've seen from the U.S. equity markets have far outstripped the, the, the rate at which they were growing their earnings. So, you know, what, what, um, what what market participants were hoping for was that we're going to see some fairly aggressive earnings growth. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, penciling in about around 8 to 9% uh, headline earnings per share uh, growth for the S&P 500 in this quarter. Uh, that was largely due to the fact that the energy sector was, uh, was going to report a massive rebound uh, because of the woeful start to 2016 that they had. So if you excluded the energy sector, you're looking at about a 5 to 6% headline earnings per share growth uh, for the s and P500, and that puts it in, uh, you know, fairly decent growth territory, although nothing too fantastic. So, you know, I think uh, what what market participants are looking for, and what's been what's happened so far in the earnings season, is that the banks have reported fairly impressive numbers, with uh, all of them apart from Goldman Sachs beating estimates, um, and we're seeing the market reacting quite positively to that, with the banks re-rating quite aggressively. Uh, we've seen luxury goods continue to uh, be under cloud, um, you know, given what's been happening in China and given the importance of China in, in uh, consumer or, or luxury good consumer spending um, you know and we see the likes of Burberry are certainly being co- coming under continued pressure for that we see Jimmy Choo's now up for sale um, you know in the luxury goods market and we saw LVMH reporting fairly decent numbers but still under the cloud of uh, you know China China slowing so all in all Sakina it's been a fairly decent uh, earning season thus far still a couple of big ones to come we see Alphabet or the parent company of Google reporting on Friday. We see Microsoft reporting on Friday. Consumer goods companies, McDonald's and Coca-Cola reporting today. So all in all, continuing to look for earnings growth and uh, hoping that returns from the U.S. equity markets can now be driven by earnings rather than multiple expansion or at the very least see significant enough uh, earnings growth to warrant the premium multiple that we're seeing in the U.S. and not seeing a derating of that multiple and and, 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 and a correction in U.S equities. So Nadir, what is driving the commodity prices and the outlook? It's quite an interesting one, Sakina, because anecdotally we all know that China is exceptionally important to uh, the outlook for commodity prices, particularly metal prices. Now, oil is obviously driven by its own dynamics, uh, so let's pop that aside for now. But commodity prices are driven, you know, very extensively by, um, you know, the face of the Chinese economy. Is the Chinese economy expanding? Is the Chinese economy contracting? At what rate is the Chinese economy growing? And, uh, you know, if one looks at a chart or if 
one looks at data comparing um, the rate at which Chinese authorities are stimulating the Chinese economy or the extent of monetary, uh, you know, monetary expansion that's happening, how much liquidity are they injecting into the Chinese economy, that's very much correlated to commodity prices uh, with a slight delayed effect. So what we've seen more recently is that in this economic transition uh, from uh, investment-led growth to, con to consumer-led economic growth in China, uh, we've seen the central bank continuing to stimulate with the addition of liquidity and the addition of stimulus in order to keep the growth number in and around the 65 to 7% level. And as a result of that, it's been highly supportive for commodity prices, and we've seen commodity prices rebound quite hard. More recently, we've seen um, you know, a slight downtick, or you know, in the case of, of iron ore, quite an aggressive downtick in commodity prices. And that's really been because the central bank has been rolling back um, some of that liquidity which it's introduced um, into the Chinese financial system. So we've seen a pullback in commodity prices. We've more recently seen um, you know, the central bank injecting liquidity once again ahead of the Chinese elective conference in, in, or in August this year to keep the economic growth, to keep the foot on the pedal. Um, you know, so we're likely to see commodity prices stabilize and slightly uptick from this point um, into the foreseeable future, despite the fact that uh, you know, the demand and supply dynamics still don't remain favorable. That injected liquidity from China should, should provide somewhat of a, of, of a support base to commodity prices, although not uh, you know, to the same leg up that we saw in 2016. So really all dependent on China and the extent to which they're stimulating the economy, Sakina.